All right. Why don't you turn to Philippians chapter 4, please. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 8 and 9. And the message is entitled, Right Thinking Results in Right Living. Paul has uh, revealed consistently through the letter that the problem at Philippi is not, is not anything but a lack of unity and joy. He has just finished admonishing two women, as you know, Yodi and Syntyche, that they were at odds. And he calls a brother to help them to be reconciled. The problem, in effect, was a symptom of a more specific cause. The issue of disobedience and not thinking um, or taking the things of God to prayer, as we saw last time. Therefore, anxiety uh, robbed them of their peace uh, due to not thinking right. Remember, your heart and your mind are connected together. The heart is the source of the evil. And the mind turns those things over. If they're not under the control of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, then it will be under our sin nature. So now Paul uses this situation to exhort the body at large, teaching them that if they are going to live right, they must think right. We'll see this here in verses 8 and 9. Now, notice the relationship between verse 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 is what I'm at heart, the real me, which uh, will be directly due to what occupies my mind. There are various words for mind, as you know, think, meditate, and they describe the disposition of moral attitude, which determines our will and our actions. The word now is last time we saw that's translated in verse 7, understand, the result is related to the thought process, uh, reflection, meditation, a different word, denoia. Um, there are other words, but basically what I allow to go through my mind and control my mind will in effect come out in life, the true character of the inner man. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 12, 34. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issue of life. Proverbs 4, 23. The heart is one of the key words and topics from Genesis to Revelation. It's not a brain problem. We're not that smart. It's a heart problem. Always. If our heart's not right, our mind will be wrong. If our heart is right, our mind will be at peace and right with God. You have to align those two together. Paul's proposition is right thinking will result in right living, and is described in three ways. Let me read verse 8 and 9 here. He says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, by, uh, praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learn and receive and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Right thinking will result in right living. The following three ways he describes them. First, the priority for right thinking comes first. The first portion of eight and then we're going to jump down to the end of the verse. Secondly, the particulars of right thinking, the middle of 8. And then the product of right thinking, verse 9. The priority, the particulars, and the product of right thinking. Let's begin here with the priority for right thinking. 
The beginning of verse 8 here, and then we'll jump to the end. Listen to the verse. Finally, brethren, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So I'm taking the front, the top, and then I'm jumping to the bottom because in between is the process. Notice the priorities addressed to the believer. Paul's proclamation has priority in view that he is coming to the end of his letter. The word finally is used of Paul earlier, and some suggest that it's a long digression from chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, finally, but it's not necessarily true. The word can be translated better, furthermore. Doesn't mean that he's coming to the end. Now he's closer to the end, so he's probably indicating the end. Um, Paul is directing himself to the family of God once again, the members, brethren, those who can obey the commands of right thinking. Very important. The word Adelphus, as you know, it's kingdom based on a family relationship, literally from the same womb. It's over and over repeated through the epistle. Once they were dead spiritually, and trespasses and sins, now they're alive. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. Once they could not obey God, <clears throat> but now they had the capacity to. Once they understood this, then the only thing they could lack would be the will to obey. A Christian can never say, I cannot. A Christian can only say, I will not. Is that clear? God never asks you anything that he doesn't enable you to be able to do. If he saved you, he has saved you to have the potential to be like him. As you grow and abide in him. Wow. The very same ones who can give their anxiety over to God. Can as well choose the priority of right thinking. Notice the priority is twofold. We go to the end there towards verse 8. Those things that have virtue. The expression of there is any virtue does not imply doubt, but rather affirms and would be better translated sense. The word virtue means the highest excellence, focusing on um, moral or ethical quality. And here it's sourced in God. This is not our abilities, but those things that we draw from God. The classical Greek uses the word for the highest quality of anything, be it land, tools, animals, whatever, the highest. The word is found only four other times in the New Testament. Peter says we are called to proclaim the praises, the highest excellence of God who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light in 1 Peter 2.9. In 2 Peter 1.3, God's divine power has given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. There's the word. In 2 Peter 1.5, for this very reason we are to give all diligence and add to our faith virtue. For this very reason, we are to give all diligence and add virtue. The diligence is the obedience. Everything in our power. You see, the Christian life is one live for Christ, that Christ may live through us to manifest the life of excellence and quality. He has spoken, shared this from the beginning of the epistle. In chapter 1, verse 21, he spoke about, you know, living for Christ. And, and in fact, he has hope that he's going to be released. In chapter 2, verse 5, the mind of Christ. Uh, chapter 3, verse 2, pressing towards the mark, you know, the resurrected life. Chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Um, he's, he's in jail. He's not at the Marriott. He's... Um, he had the potential of being executed. This time he wasn't. Next time he would. 
Now those things that are praiseworthy, the phrase praiseworthy means that which is approved of or commendable and deserved to be mentioned because it's such excellent quality. The context, notice, would have to mean God's praiseworthiness, not ours. It's always the vertical first. Paul told the Corinthians that if any was going to glory, any person, he was to glory in the Lord. 1 Corinthians one thirty one. And this is how Christians start off. But if you don't cultivate your life, if you don't stay in the Word of God, if you don't stay in prayer and fellowship, it's, it's natural for us to get a big head. You know, like balloons with helium. They just want to go up. The only way to keep them down is to pop them. You know? Paul told those who might think their excellence was of themselves in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you have not received? Now, if you have received it, why do you glory as if you had not received it? You see, the believer has been predestined by God to the praise and glory of His grace, Ephesians 1, 5 through 6. Paul has already related this to Christ living through them in the opening chapter, chapter 1, verse 11. In Christ, that's the key phrase in Ephesians, in Christ, in the heavenlies. Notice the priority is to be a habit of thought here. There in verse 8. The command is to meditate on these things, those having virtue and praiseworthiness. The command presupposes, again, the ability to obey. You, as a parent, never ask your child. You never ask your child to go mow the lawn if he's only two years old. You ask your child to mow the lawn because he's a teenager and he's able to do it. You never ask your wife to jack up the car and change the oil. Though some ladies may be able to do it, but most ladies wouldn't. So you wouldn't ask her to do that, right? So when you ask somebody to do something, because you believe that they are capable and able to do it. Now, if we being evil, consider that. How much more God? The discipline is a willful decision, not an accident. The word meditate, logizomai, means to reckon, calculate, to take into account with the idea of pondering and dwelling on. Um, the word is used for the chief priests, the scribes and the elders, when Jesus asked them about John's baptism, whether it was from heaven or man, and they reasoned, that's the word, among themselves. Logizomai. It comes, logic comes from it. Writing a log comes from it. Considering, calculating. Paul uses this word 35 of the 41 times that it appears in the New Testament. It's one of his favorite words. The mind. So Christians often are accused of not using their mind, of just being foolish to believe anything. No. But our faith is not based on reason alone, but our faith is very, very reasonable, based on God's revelation. Paul uses it for himself when he said he did not count himself to have apprehended in chapter 3, verse 13. He's talking about justification, remember, and the reach now, all the things that God had for him. The Apostle Paul has been lying or laying the uh, groundwork for this important exhortation from the very beginning. Uh, listen to Philippians 1.12. He gave himself an example of thinking right, telling them that he was imprisoned by divine appointment. Wow. 
That makes a big difference. I'm, I'm in jail because God put me here. Rather than saying, Lord, why am I in jail? What are you doing? My thinking makes all the difference with my peace, right? Hmm. 116. He modeled right thinking as believers attempted to add to his affliction in prison. And he was glad that the gospel was being preached. Whether affliction, whatever, as long as Christ is preached. Wow. 127. He commended them to stand fast in one spirit with one mind, thinking the same, striving together for the gospel as he, while he was in prison, there in Philippians 127. In 2, 1 through 8, he told them that they were to put on the mind of Christ, the epitome of a servant, as himself, Timothy and Epaphroditus, the very examples to them. Verse 17 through 30 also, chapter 2. And then in 2, 14, he told them to do all things without murmuring by right thinking, understanding we are a light to the world. He told them to receive Epaphroditus with right thinking, a Christ-like servant with esteem, not thinking that he had failed in chapter 2, verse 29. He told them the goal of right thinking is to determine to experience Christ living through him. Philippians 3.10 He told them two women had to agree together by right thinking and to be reconciled in chapter 4, verse 2. He summarizes this concept by telling them to ponder and to dwell on thinking that is of moral and ethical excellence and that that will bring praise to God here in verse 8. Philippians is all about right thinking. Have you ever um, been thinking about something so much that when you were asked a question, you responded with what was on your mind to your own embarrassment? <laughs> or you're in a conversation and you're thinking of something else and you, you don't even hear what they're saying? Sometimes we can shut the whole world off on what's going on because we're so caught up in what we're thinking. What Paul is declaring should not be um, confused with modern-day meditation of today, like positive thinking or imagery, creating your own reality as a Christian. That was a big thing back in the 80s. TM, Transcendental Meditation, the psychological methods, whether they call themselves, quote, quote, Christian psychology or not, there's only one type of psychology, that's secular psychology, humanism. Or contemplative prayer of the emergent church after the Desert Fathers of the 3rd and 4th century, which tell you to silence your mind and empty it. Wow. Bible never teaches that. Yet they use the scriptures subjectively to do that. Christian meditation is based on the scriptures in order that God might speak to us and give us um, understanding, wisdom, um, reminding us of who we are and who we are to trust. So we meditate on the word. Whenever the believer is wise to make right thinking as their priority, they're victorious, as you know, in their spiritual warfare by recognizing some basic things. First, to recognize that his heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17.9. That's the beginning of right thinking, that you understand your depravity. Second, to recognize that your carnal mind and mine is an enemy against God, Romans 8, 7. Third, to recognize that our sin nature lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. Therefore, they are contrary one to the other in Galatians five seventeen. 
And you have the opposition in Ephesians 6.12. Fourthly, to recognize that Satan's attack is against the knowledge of God, not really you or I. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. Whenever the believer's priority is to think right, he must use spiritual weapons, prayer, a calling out for God's help. As we saw in chapter 4, verse 7 through 8, prayer is as essential as breathing so that you are dependent on God and the anxiety is not overtaking you. The ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit is essential in Ephesians 5.18 and 6.10 because the Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak or impotent. It's not a suggestion, it's not an option, it's a command. Keep on keeping on. Then there's the Word of God. It's clean, it's pure, enlightening the soul, the heart. Where will all will a young man cleanse his way in my heart? Have I hid your word that I might not sin against you? You must study to show yourself approved unto God. Second Timothy 2.15 So you can deal with the issues of life, relationships, the problems. God's word is to dwell in us richly, Colossians 3.16 tells us. Singing hymns and melodies in our heart to the Lord. Ephesians hits it from the side of the spirit. Colossians hits it from the side of the word. The word and the spirit go together. It's like a car and gas. They go together. Beans and tortillas. Peanut butter and jam. Can't separate them. So the priority for right thinking is for believers. They're the only ones that can. God never asks a non-believer to think right. They can't. Notice, secondly, comes the particulars of the right thinking. Um, the middle of eight there. Um, God gives us not an exhaustive list, but a list of six things, long enough to get a, his point across. Um, and it seems that they come in pairs. The first two deal with integrity. I am to discipline my mind to ponder on whatever things are true. The phrase whatsoever things means as many, everything, and all under each category. The word true means that which is reliable and honest, decent, in character with the sense of not being hidden or concealed or false, be it thought, word, or deed. And John uses the word to assure the truthfulness of the gospel in John 19.35 and 21.24. Calvin called it the integrity of a good conscience. Then I am to discipline my mind to ponder on whatever things are noble. This word noble means venerable or honorable, having dignity. The quality that makes things worthy of respect opposed to being uh, scorned. Marriage is to be honored today at scorned. Purity is to be valued today at scorned. You have that opposite. The King James translates it reverent. Good translation. The word appears only three other times in the pastoral epistles and used for the qualification of deacons, their wives and the older men who are to manifest godly character because of their position in the body and their responsibility. That is in 1 Timothy 3, 8, 11, and then Titus 2, 2. The second two Deal with motives now. I am to discipline my mind to ponder on whatever things are just. 
The word just means that which will produce a right relationship with man or God. Being conformable to God's standards. The word is used of Joseph who being a just man wanted to put away Mary privately in Matthew 1.19. We just studied that a couple of weeks ago. He didn't want justice. He um, wanted to be just. There's a big difference. I'm to discipline my life to ponder whatever things are pure. The word pure means clean or chaste, undefiled. But it's not restricted to sexual purity here. Uh, but all of life in mind and body. The context is our thoughts that only God knows apart from us. Therefore, it refers to purity of heart, the motives, why we do what we do. Um, no one knows the motives of the heart, but based on what you do and what you say, your motives can be found out. All these people taking a knee in football. Well, they've been hit pretty hard the last few days financially. People getting back their football season tickets, being reimbursed by DirecTV. In Philadelphia, nobody walked into the store. So today they said they're all going to be standing. It's too late. We already know your heart. You may be standing physically, but you're, you're kneeling in your heart. It's too late. So sometimes we don't know the heart, but sometimes we do, very clear. You give it away. The word is used for those who are expecting the return of Christ to be pure. In 1 John 3, 3. Everyone who has his hope purifies himself even as he is pure. Now the last two deal with um, actions. Integrity, motives, now actions. I am to discipline my mind to ponder on whatever things are lovely. Everything he's talking about is with the mind. Okay. Lovely means what is pleasing and agreeable or admirable, attractive, inciting, true love. Not sexual, but true love for another. This is the only appearance of the word in the New Testament. And it's not even found in the current list of virtues of the ancient day that it was written in. Only here. The believers to think on those things that will produce a conduct towards others that will be in accord with the attractiveness of grace and the gospel of God's love. There's this very clear message that we're to be one with Jesus Christ and the gospel. It cannot be duplicity. It cannot be two different lives. The two must become one. Paul tells Titus to command servants to adorn the doctrine of God by their conduct towards their masters instead of distracting and contradicting in Titus 2.10. Then I'm to discipline my mind to ponder on whatever things are of good report. Good report refers to that which is praiseworthy, attractive, and admirable to the highest standard, being profitable. This also appears only one time in the New Testament, well-spoken or reputable. Those things that, as I think on, they motivate right actions that will bring glory to God, in his kingdom on earth. 
Jesus quoted the Shema of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5 as the greatest commandment and said, Love God with all your heart, soul, and all your mind instead of might. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. The word for mind is dianoia, the thoughts and meditation. The discipline of my mind and yours is evidence of our love for God and character. This was Paul's prayer from the beginning in chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. The technical slang among those who work with computers is the abbreviation G-I-G-O-Giggle. Garbage in, garbage out. The errors cannot be blamed on the computer, but on the one who fed the information to the computer. Your brain will forget more than 90% of what you and I learned during our lifetime, but you and I will still store up 10 times more than the Library of Congress of 17 million volumes. Your mind is an incredible place. What kind of thoughts do you and I allow to control our minds? Thoughts of self-righteousness, jealousy, envy, deceit, resentment, bitterness, hate, unforgiveness, revenge. And that's what's going to control your the chemicals in your body and the product of your life. I'm not to be ignorant regarding Satan's devices lest he take advantage of me and I give him opportunity or a foothold. Second Corinthians um, 2.11 says and uh, Ephesians 4.27 You and I are not to make provisions for our sinful flesh or allow Satan through the craftiness to corrupt our minds and simplicity and purity of Christ as he did with Eve, Romans 13, 14, and 2 Corinthians eleven three. You and I are to be sober and vigilant due to the fact that the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Therefore, you and I need to resist Satan steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by our brethren in the world. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. What is the reason for so many failures in life, in the life of Christians? Hosea tells us plainly, listen, my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Hosea 4, 6. Lack of knowledge. Micah tells us, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8. What kind of mind am I and you to be cultivating? The renewed mind of Christ and righteousness and true holiness as Ephesians 4. 22 through 24 tells us. The new man is renewed in knowledge according to the image of God. Colossians 3.10 says. The mind of Christ that submits in humble obedience. Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. You see God resists the proud and gives grace to who? The humble. 1 Peter 5.5. Mind and heart, one. So the particulars of right thinking are essential for the believer. The priority, the process, that leads to the product. The product of right thinking. Look at verse 9. The product has a process. First Paul tells them, They learn from Him. The word learn simply means to be informed or to increase 
and knowledge. Jesus used it when he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me in Matthew eleven twenty nine. Second, Paul tells them they had received that knowledge as their own conviction and way of life. The word receive, paralambano, means to take to oneself, affiliate, or join with. The word is a technical term for the receiving of traditions for the purpose of handing it down intact to others. Such as the words of Paul that what he had received of the Lord, he was giving to the Corinthians regarding the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians 11.23. Such as when he warned the Galatians of receiving a different gospel than the one he had given them. Accusing um, um, man or angels in Galatians 1.9. But notice thirdly Paul tells them they had heard him with their own ears as he proclaimed God's gospel truth to them. The word heard there means to be endowed with the faculty of hearing. They're not deaf. We get the phrase acute hearing from this word. Very keen hearing. To perceive with the ear what is being announced with understanding. Jesus um, used it on the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it been said of those of old. Matthew 5.21. John used it in his message to the seven churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 2.7. But fourth, Paul tells them they saw him live out these truths he proclaimed. The word saw, oida, simply means to see with perception and assimilate what is being seen. The word is also translated by the word know, the idea of perceiving understanding. The word is used for the magi who saw his star in Matthew 2.2. Paul told the Corinthians, know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 6.19? We understand that. As Christians. Now notice the process will result in the product. In verse 9. The product is described by two words in our English translation. Ready? These do. <laughs> These do. The word in the Greek is one. Praso. Simply means to practice, perform, to be busy with, to carry out with repeatedly, as habitually. So it's not sporadically, it's not when you feel like it, it's to be on, going on all the time. This is the bottom line to all learning, application. The word is used for those repeatedly practicing the works of the flesh in Galatians 5.21. The word in our text is used for those who repeatedly practice the fruit of the Spirit. You see, the Apostle Paul commands them to do after his example. That's quite a statement. He was not declaring that he was sinless or arrived at the state of perfection. He has already established that earlier in Philippians chapter 3 verse 12 through 13. Christians are not perfect. They're not sinless. But they don't live the way they used to. And they understand the potential they have to live after the example of Christ. So he's not boasting but simply declaring that he had lived out what he believed and taught to them. He was encouraging them to trust Jesus for this as he did earlier in Philippians 2.13. They were to think on these things and do them. Notice the product of doing 
has a promise there towards the end of verse 9. The promise is simple. The God, the God of peace will be with you. You'll have his approval, his protection, his provision, his peace. They had God. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Romans 15.33 says. They were on the winning side. Listen. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Romans 16.20. They were in the family of God and were to be of good comfort, of one mind. To live in peace. And the God of love and peace would be with you. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. The prayer for the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, was now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God would enable them. Listen to Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought you up, um, brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of his everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God himself will be with us in fellowship through the affairs of life, he says. In the good times, the bad times, the times of testings, the times of death. It's over and over again. Second Timothy 4, 7 through 8. The victorious triumphal ex exit of Paul as he's being, he's going to be offered up as a drink offering. His head's going to roll. First Peter 4, 19, that we're to commend ourselves to God as a faithful creator in our sufferings. Right thinking. See, God will be approving of our lives and rejoicing with us as well as providing the peace that surpasses all understanding in anxious times by our prayers. Paul opened the letter, as you know, saluting them with grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 1, verse 2. Paul has also given to them the key to have the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, as he said in chapter 4, verse 7. Paul now gives them the way they would maintain the peace of God in fellowship with the God of peace. It's been said, sow a thought, reap an act, sow an act, reap a deed, sow a deed, Reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character, reap a destiny. Your mind and your heart. The product of doing is not automatic just because we have biblical knowledge in our possession. The man who knows to do good and does it not, it is sent to him, James 4, 17 says. Don't be a hearer only, but a doer of the word, lest you deceive yourself, James 1.22 says. You go before the mirror and you see that your buttons are aligned. You say, ah, no big deal. And you walk out like that. You don't do that. You ladies, when you look in the mirror, you don't eyebrows, whatever, you know, you, you fix what you see wrong, right? That's what the word of God is. The product of our life will be directly related to the process going on. In your mind as well as mine. The believer, contrary to what he used to be, is to allow his entire life to be dominated and controlled by the gospel as a living sacrifice. As Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be fashioned to this world system, but be transformed, metamorphosed. By the renewing of your mind to prove what is that good, acceptable, and the perfect will 
of God, the mind. The gospel should not be an addition to our own beliefs, but to live it out together. The word of God. The scriptures warn us, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that will he also reap. Galatians 6, 7 through 8. No farmer has ever gone out to a field and planted corn and has expected to reap squash. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Absolutely. The product of right living is due to my yielding to God's power for right thinking. In Philippians 2, 12 through 30, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do what? His good pleasure. So whatever he calls you to do, he enables you, right? Our willingness to obey. Paul prayed for the Ephesians that God would open their eyes to his wisdom and the seeding greatness of his mighty power towards those who believe in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through 19 and chapter 3, 16 through 19. He prays in those chapters for them. That God would open our eyes to the illumination, to the power, to the wisdom that God has for us. In fact, it is spiritual warfare. It's a good fight. It's a winnable fight. And that's why we are given Ephesians chapter 6, 9 through 18. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord. The power of his might put on the whole armor of God. And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, principalities, power, dominions of darkness, high places. And he goes on all the way to, he ends up with prayer in the armor. In fact, in Ephesians three sixteen to 21, he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask for thing, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Wow. You see, the product of the promise is conditional based on what and how we think. The doing of it. The promises of God in the Old Testament, as well as many in the New Testament, are conditional. If you do this, I will do this. Salvation is conditional based on repentance. Otherwise, you're not saved. You have to repent. You have to agree with God that you're a sinner. It's conditional. You don't just get to heaven by accident. The Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount are conditional. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. No poverty of spirit, no kingdom of heaven. Jesus speaking to his disciples about being the vine, and they the branches said, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, he's talking about literal disciples, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. John fifteen six. The words of Jesus cannot be any clearer than the following. Listen carefully. Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty six and 27, Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And when the storm comes, his house fell. In verse 24, 25, he says, But whatever or whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will listen, liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Though the storms come, his house does not fall. He's talking to Christians. Only a Christian can be a doer. He's not talking about non-believers. Very clear. So the product of right thinking is of the greatest benefit to believers. Paul's proposition is right thinking will result in right living. 
described in these three ways. The priority for right thinking is for the believer. The particulars of right thinking are essential for the believers as the process. And the product of right thinking is of the greatest benefit to the believer. Right thinking will result in right living. The process equals the product. No one can escape it. Not one of us. Father, we thank you for your grace, your love, and your goodness. We thank you for tonight and for your word. And we thank you for your grace over our life. That you're able to transform our minds and our hearts. And that your word can just do um, the job that it's supposed to as we yield to it, Lord. So I lift everybody to you, Lord. We pray for those who are over the radio, Lord, that you deal with their hearts. And if they're out there, they don't know you, that you would just convict them of their sin. They call on your name. If you're out there somewhere in the world and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God sent his son to die for you. He made him sin for you who knew no sin that you might be made the righteous of God in him. He died in your place. The wrath of the Father fell on him so it would not have to fall upon you. And if you believe that Jesus died for you, tasted death for you, made the payment for your sins to the Father for you, and that you are a sinner in need of salvation, you can call on Jesus right now and he will save you. He will forgive you. He will make you his child. It comes through repentance. To make an about face, a change of mind, right thinking. I am a sinner. I'm a rebel. I don't deserve heaven. But Jesus made the way so that I can go to heaven. And if you trust him for that, he will get you there. This is your prayer of repentance. If you don't know Jesus Christ right where you sit or maybe out there somewhere in the radio or even the internet. Right where you sit, he's going to save you. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Transform my mind. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.